So, as most of you know that have been here, we, uh, we spent the last several weeks in Psalm 37, and I camped out on verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. We've talked a lot about it. And I think it was three weeks ago now we asked the question, so what do we do if we don't delight in God? If we are in that place and we are not, we call ourselves a Christian, but we are not delighting in God. And I gave you five helps, five disciplines, a, a pathway to delight. Does anybody remember any of them? To pray, to maintain that daily conversation with God, which is prayer. To obey the Lord. Always pushing the envelopes of, uh, envelope of obedience. Always pushing it. Don't get, ever get comfortable in your Christianity. Push it. You know what God's called you to do. Do it. Do it with great passion and zeal. and Be earnest. Push the envelope. Go to a new place with God. Thank you, Bertha. Those two. Any, another was an, I did heard another over here, I think. What was it? Be in the Word of God. You say, Jim, I don't delight in God. Well, are you, are, have you immersed yourself in the love letter that He's written to you? That's an excellent one. To, to be immersed in the Word of God. There was a general one which was simply to seek God. To decide. To consciously decide, I will be a seeker of God. Whatever else I do today, I will seek God. Yes, I have many responsibilities today. I have much to do today. But I will seek God. I will put that at the top of my list. I'll seek God in all that I do in the ways that I do it. And then there was one more, and that's what I want to talk about tonight. It's what was been on my heart this week. Anybody remember what it is? Pardon me? We said pray. Yes. Fellowship is good. That's not it. Wrong. Very good guess. To follow? What? Worship. Worship. These are all good answers, but they're wrong because they're not my answer. <laughs> okay? No. The other point we talked about, and these are, other good, these are good points that you've made. Remember we talked about repenting of all known sin. Here's what I know about you. Even if you're born again and you love Jesus, I know you have sin in your life. I know that about you <laughs> because I know that about me. I preached this psalm about two years ago and I realized I should preach it every year. Um, it's an important psalm. I hope you have your Bibles open and you'll follow, me, follow along with me um, or your electronic device and let's... let's Talk a little bit about Psalm 51, David's famous confession. Let's talk about David for a minute. He was chosen by God. He was a self-confessed lover of God. He was a true follower of God. He was zealous for God. He passionately worshipped God. He had a courageous faith in God. He did mighty deeds in the name of God. 
He was a beloved leader of God's people. He, used, he was used of God to write Scripture. He's in the lineage of Jesus Christ. And oh, yes, guess what else? He is a murderer and an adulterer. Now, for some of you who don't know your Bibles well, that might be confusing. It might be a shock to you that this great man of God at the height of His power, He fell into gross sin. He fell into flagrant sin. I'll never forget, I was sitting with my spiritual mentor. This was about 20 years ago. And I love this man. And he... He taught me so many things about God, right? I love this man. He said, Jim, I, 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 I have to stay back to where we started. I have to stay on my disciplines. I, I have to, to cultivate the light in God on a daily basis or I could fall. And I thought to myself, this man's been in ministry for 25 years. How could you fall? How could a man like this ever fall? Well, he knows it's possible to fall. His father fell. His father had been in the ministry 40 years. And his father ran off with the church secretary. Left his mother and went and his wife and, 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 and ran off and married the church secretary. I heard this, this man's father speak about this. And these are a few things he said. He said, I got lazy in my spiritual disciplines. And in my pursuit of God, he, start, he said, I started living on yesterday's glory, yesterday's manna, yesterday's spiritual experience. He said, I stopped writing new sermons. This man was a pastor. He said, I thought I could play with sin a little bit and not get burned. He talked about the slow, insidious, slippery, downward spiral into egregious, heinous sin. He said, I never thought it could happen to me. I'm sure King David never planned on becoming an adulterer and a murderer. I'm sure he would have never thought that could possibly ever happen in his life. As one theologian said, sin doesn't leap upon us. It creeps upon us. So every day you leave off pursuing God, you are closer to deep and profound sin. It's a process. It's being lazy as a Christian. It's one small rationalization and seemingly harmless indulgence at a time. It's a long pathway to flagrant sin. Sin that you could never even conceive of being able to commit. Right now today, you can't believe that you could ever commit gross and flagrant sin. Let me tell you if, you, if you know your Bibles, if you've read your Bibles, if you're biblically literate, you know you can fall. It's in the Bible. One of God's greatest men who ever walked the earth fell. 
He became an adulterer. He became a murderer. A man who wrote Scripture. A man who said, I am a man after God's own heart. He became an adulterer and a murderer. I want to say to you, it is arrogant and foolish and stupid for you to think you cannot fall in a very serious way. It is always possible. That is how dark even the regenerate heart is. That's how much sin remains in the regenerate heart. And one of our weapons, we've already talked about it, we must be in the Word of God. Beloved, if you're not looking at God in God's Word, you are easy prey out there. The media will gobble you up. The culture will gobble you up. Satan will laugh. Oh, here's a Christian who never reads God's Word. He never prays. He never repents. He never seeks God. He's just playing a game with God. He thinks He's above it all. He's smarter than everybody else. He can sin just a little and be okay. Satan's laughing at you right now. If that's who you think you are. If that's who you think you are. You are easy spiritual prey if you're not in the Word of God. And I like what uh, Allison said. If you're not in the body of Christ, if you're not in the fellowship, you are easy spiritual prey. So David thought it could never happen to him. He left off his spiritual disciplines. He wasn't looking at God every day. He was looking around. He wasn't listening to God every day. He was listening to himself. Next thing you know, he's an adulterer and he is a murderer. I know you've heard me say this many times. Sin will take you further than you want to go. Some of you haven't learned it yet. Some of you, I think probably, still think you can play with it. It will take you further than you want to go. You will have to pay a higher price than you want to pay to toy with Sin. I think one of the best uh, definitions of sin I've ever heard, you may be able to guess who said it, famous theologian in the States, John Piper. Yes, John Piper, of course. He says this, Sin is the suicidal exchange of the infinite value and beauty of God for some temporal, inferior, sugar-coated substitute. This is a great insult to God. What you have to understand from Psalm 51, you'll see it in David's words, your sin no matter how great, ultimately is an insult to God. You were created to delight in Him. We've talked a whole lot about it in the last month, and I'm not going to uh, dwell on that. You were created to, de to delight in your Creator. And sin says, I want this more. I think this is better. I will get more pleasure from sin than I get from being in communion with God. Piper is exactly right. It is an insult to God. In fact, I'm going to tell you later, um, I love Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of one of the verses here in this psalm. He, he says, uh, he uses the word violated. David violated God. 
David violated the Word of God. It's what you do and it's what I do when we consciously sin against God. It's a violation against the person of God. This is King David's insult. He wanted Bathsheba. In that moment, he wanted her more than he wanted God. That's a personal insult to God. In that moment, he thought Bathsheba would bring him more pleasure than God could bring him. In that moment, he exchanged intimacy with God for intimacy with Bathsheba. Do you see the insult? <laughs> do, you see, do you see the insult that your sin and my sin is to God? So let me give you the backdrop. You know the story. I'll give you the backdrop of this psalm. David is looking where he shouldn't be looking. He's looking at another man's wife. He's seeing what he shouldn't be seeing. He's seeing this man's wife bathing. He inquires about a woman he should not be inquiring about. The wife of Uriah. And David took Bathsheba and committed adultery with her. She reports to King David subsequently that she is pregnant with child. And you know the story. David brings Uriah back off the battlefield in hopes that he will sleep with Bathsheba and lay with her. So there would be some rational explanation for this child. But what is Uriah? Uriah is such a man of honor. He says, I will not go down to my house because my comrades are still in the field fighting. I will not do it. David even tried to get him drunk. David did get him drunk, and he still wouldn't go to Bathsheba. Uriah wouldn't. So you know the story. David sends Uriah back to the front lines with his own death warrant, a message to Joab, the commander, put Uriah on the front line and withdraw from him, ensuring that he will be killed. Uriah is killed. David, after the proper time of mourning, David takes Bathsheba as his wife. This is the backdrop. This is the backdrop of this psalm. Sin will take you further than you want to go every time. Every time. And you know the story. God sends His prophet Nathan to David. And this story is found in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. You can go look it up for yourself at your leisure. He, Nathan tells the story to David of, of, of the rich man who took the poor man's little ewe lamb. It's all the poor man had. But the rich man took the, the, the poor man's little ewe lamb. And David was outraged. David said, surely this man is worthy of death. And Nathan said, you are the man. You are the man. And David was convicted of his sin. And Nathan tells David, the Lord has taken away 
your sin. You shall not die. David was worthy of death under the law. But the Lord has taken away your sin. And if you're a Christian tonight, that's true. That's true. That's true in your life. And hallelujah! We sang it, right? I'm a sinner! But it's gone! It's just gone! Because of Jesus Christ, it's gone! And I know you know this. If you've been in the church very long, you know these things. You've heard them a million times. But what I'm asking you, are you delighting in them? Are you loving them? Do you worship God because you are saved when you should not be saved? When God has taken away your sin, when He had every right to judge you, And if you read that account there in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12, Nathan says, he's speaking the words of God. Nathan says to David, this is God speaking through His prophet. He says, why have you despised Me? This is what God says. Why did you despise Me, David? Why did you violate Me, David? This is not about simply violating uh, Uriah and Bathsheba and David's wives and family. God says, why have you despised Me? Why have you despised My Word? This is what the prophet says to, to King David. It's personal. Sin is always personal. It's always personal. It's always between you and God. It is always between you and God. So that's the backdrop to Psalm 51. And we'll go through it. And I want you to hear this urgent, desperate, heartfelt, gut-wrenching, guilt-ridden confession of sin. As John Piper says of Psalm 51, this is how a Christian is crushed with guilt well. I like that. This is how a true lover of God handles his guilt, his shame. It's how he does true confession, contrition, and repentance. It's full of emotion. Psalm 51 is how all true believers confess their sin. In deep sorrow, remorse, regret, repentance. And I want you to note that the word joy appears three times in the psalm. The title of the sermon is Broken Joy. I am broken before God because of my own wickedness, but I am in search and in anticipation of joy that will come to me as I repent, as I confess and repent, and God washes me clean. David is talking about joy in his confession. This is how a Christian confesses, right? <laughs> With the anticipation of joy. We will come through it. We will be washed. We will be cleansed. We will be because our God has saved us. Verses 1 and 2, Be gracious to me, O God, according to Your loving kindness, according to the greatness of Your compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. What is David's first appeal in 
this confession in verse 1, he appeals to God's loving kindness, right? His gracious loving kindness. His great compassion. David begins his confession with what? It's worship, right? It's worship. This murderer, this adulterer and murderer can approach a holy God because God has mediated and David looks forward to Messiah even as we look back. David understands the mediation. And David knows God is a God of gracious, loving kindness and compassion. Amen? Praise God. Amen? It's why we're in this room. From all over the world, we, we find ourselves in Milan, but we have to come to a room like this. Because I know I deserve hell, but I'll never go there because of what Jesus Christ did. Because God has loved me. Because God is a God of gracious, loving kindness. A God of great compassion. David doesn't come to God through some priest. He doesn't come to God through some religious uh, prescription. It's not about self-righteousness or religious propriety. He comes to God worshiping God and he confesses his sin and he cries out to God, wash me and cleanse me thoroughly, Lord. It's a beautiful, beautiful confession. I want you to see that confession begins with worship. It begins with worship. I love Isaiah 45, 21-22. I bring it up probably four or five times a year to you in our in our sermons. There is no other God besides Me, Jehovah says, a righteous God and a Savior. Beloved, He is a Savior. He is a judge and He will judge the world. But today is the day of grace and He offers it to all who would repent and believe. What an amazing God. What an amazing God. And, God, and David comes to this God. He knows this God. He knows this this God will forgive him and wash him and cleanse him. And joy has already begun to bubble up in David's heart. And you'll see it at the end of the psalm. It's starting to bubble up even now. A God who forgives. A righteous judge who forgives. Verses 3 and 4, For I know my transgressions, David says, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. David understands that his sin is a personal insult to God. And some of you may say, no, my sin is not directed at God. Well, I will say to you, you do not understand your Bible. Your sin is directed at God. It is a personal violation of God and His Word. We've talked about it recently. Adam and Eve, all they did was eat of the tree that they weren't supposed to. That's all they did. But you don't get away with sin before a holy God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He will not look at your sin. He will not have it in His presence. It will be banished to hell. Or it will be laid on Jesus. 
These are, this is humanity's options. I'm safe through the finished atoning work of Jesus. Or I stand before God in my sin and I will be judged and infinite wrath will land on me for a billion eternities. This is what the Bible teaches. David says, verse 3, My sin is ever before me. Don't you know? Isn't this true? Isn't this true if you're a Christian tonight? Now I know how unbelievers, if you, maybe you're not a Christian and you can deal, you just, your sin is like water off your back. You don't really care. You don't think about it. Well, but a real Christian is not like that. <laughs> okay? We get that. But he said, My sin is ever before me. And I couldn't help but think of the woman. I, I, I preached on abortion a couple of years ago, and I, I, her, her, her examples never left my mind. 30 years after her, the, on, on the exact day, 30 year anniversary of the of the, when she aborted her child, she woke up in a cold sweat filled with guilt and remorse and pain. Thirty years. She ultimately, ultimately came to the Lord for forgiveness and healing. But David says, my sin is ever before me. You guys know it. Uh, it's, it's how sin is. Psalm 31, David is very descriptive here. This corrosive effect of sin. He says, My eye, my soul, my body waste away from my grief. My life is spent in sorrow. My strength has failed. My body is wasted away because of my sin, David says. And you know what I'm talking about. If you claim to be a Christian tonight, you know what I'm talking about. You know the most miserable person on the planet is the person who claims to be a Christian and who's in sin. Or the person who is a Christian and is in sin. They've left their first love. They've, they've broken fellowship with God. It's miserable. I know. I'm 61. I've lived many of... I, hey, I'm not, I'm not an empty suit, okay? I've lived just about everything I preach to you. I've lived it. I've lived it. Most of you have lived it too. David says, My sin is ever before me. My sin is ever before me. Again, David understands that his sin is a violation of God and God's Word. You can go look at the, the message paraphrase. Eugene Peterson, as I shared with you earlier, uses the word violated. David says, you are the one that I have violated. If you don't see your sin like that, you have not understood your Bible. You simply have not understood the Scriptures. If we think lightly of our sin, we are not thinking biblically. If we think lightly, uh, if we think we can sin with impunity because I have the grace of Jesus, you know, people don't normally say this, but this is how they live. Oh, I have grace. I profess to be a Christian. I can live any way I want. I have grace. Well, I think most of us in here see the stupidity, the stupidity of, of that kind of rationalization. Christianity does not work that way. If that's how you think, you don't know anything about God or the Bible or Jesus Christ. 
The true Christian never thinks like that. We can never think like that. Every sin that I commit lands on Christ. The true Christian cannot sin with impunity. I'm not saying we can't fall into seasons of gross sin. That's not what I'm saying. It's what we see on the pages of Scripture here in King David's life. But David was spring-loaded to repent when he was confronted. And it's a, it's a job of a pastor. You know, when I know someone is in sin, when it comes to my attention that someone in my church is in sin, it's my job to go to them and talk to them about it, to confront them. It's what Nathan is doing. It's what every good New Testament pastor will do. It's called church discipline. It's sanctioned by God. It's supposed to happen in the church. The other point here I want to make. David, David vindicates God. David's not trying to vindicate himself. <laughs> Which you hear a lot of people, you know, they try to vindicate their, their self or make excuses for their sin. When you read the text here, you see that David understands that he is the guilty party. He is the guilty party. Verse 5. No, verse 4. Against you, you only have I sinned. Um, again, we are understanding that, that, that our sin is a violation against God. Verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Is David making a commentary on his mother? No. He's making a commentary on mankind. If you're a human being, and I think most of you are, you were conceived in sin. We fell in Adam. A lot of people hate this doctrine. I fell in Adam. I don't like it that the Bible says I fell in Adam. Why should I be guilty? I was in Adam's loins, but why should I be guilty? Because God says you're guilty. That's enough. But if you have a real problem with it, I'll simply ask you this. Have you ever sinned? Case closed. You're guilty. You don't like the doctrine of original sin? Well, have you ever committed a sin? Which essentially means I've ne I have not loved and worshipped and adored and obeyed God every nanosecond of my life as I should. Are you guilty of sin? You're guilty before God. Case closed on that one. Case closed. Verses 6 and 9 through 9. Behold... You desire truth in the innermost being and in the hidden part. You will make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. There's the first joy. There'll be two more. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. I think there's a clear illusion here to being born again. He says he talks about he, he talks about uh, the desire for truth in the innermost being. That's what happens in the born again heart, right? And 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 God again in verse six he makes he makes uh, he makes us know wisdom in in the heart in the born again heart. This is an allusion to the supernatural nature of becoming a Christian. Christianity is always inside out. Pseudo-Christianity is outside in. 
I paint myself on the outside to look good to other people, and I think I look good to God. Of course, God sees the heart. God knows you're a whitewashed sepulcher if you're playing that game. So pseudo-Christianity is outside in. Uh, biblical Christianity is inside out. It's, it's flowing. The, 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 the rivers of living water, as Jesus says, are flowing out of our heart. And He says, wash me. He says, David says, wash me. And make me white as snow. It's what He does. It's what God does. I'm just going to give you a litany here of what God does when He forgives us. I won't give you the references. If you want them, I'll email them to you. Though our sins are scarlet, they will be white as snow. For God has cast all our sins behind His back. I will wipe out your transgressions and remember them no more. I will tread your iniquities underfoot and cast them into the depths of the sea. I will remember your sin no more. As far as the east is from the west, I have removed your sin from you. This is what God has done through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And again, in verse 8, we see the word joy. David says, make me to hear joy and gladness. It's the broken joy of confession. Lord, I come to You in a broken spirit, but I anticipate joy because I will be forgiven. Because what Jesus did is enough. His sacrifice was received. His resurrection confirmed it. He is my Lamb. He bore my burden. It's a beautiful thing. David is already anticipating joy. Verses 10-13 through 13, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from Your presence. Do not take Your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of Your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. Did you notice David is not simply looking for forgiveness. He's looking for renewal. He doesn't simply want to be forgiven by God. He wants to be changed by God. Listen, this is the heart of all true confession. You know, this is not some brain-dead thing. It's not some Catholic formula. You know, I, I go say this, and then the priest tells me to say that, and then... It's all good. I, I have to say, it's garbage. It's just garbage. David doesn't want a formula. David wants God. And he wants to be changed by God. He wants to be God's Son. And he wants to walk like God's Son. That's what he wants. He's not looking for a pat on the head and, and uh, you know... A religious band-aid, that's not what David is looking for. David wants God. Listen, God is the only thing that will drive you from sin. Religion cannot religion's not big enough. God is. If you ever catch a glimpse of the beauty of God, you can put down your sin and go to him. We never become sinless. Let me make that clear. We don't become sinless. We're always fighting this thing. We're always fighting sin. It's the Romans 7 thing. It's always with us, but we're fighting it. We're cooperating with the Holy Spirit as we put down our sin. The Hebrew word in verse 10 translated steadfast. It means unwavering, resolute, persistent, dedicated, loyal, faithful, devoted, <laughs> this is a beautiful picture of what Christianity should 
looked like. And again, David is looking, more, looking for more than mere pardon. He wants to be restored in fellowship with God. Verse 11 there, it might be confusing to some. He's not talking about losing his salvation. That's not what David is talking about. If we understand our Bible, the true believer who's been born again can never be unborn again. We can never lose our salvation. The Bible is clear about that. The reason we can't lose our salvation is because God did it. We didn't do it. God did it. We cannot lose it. If it's real, we cannot lose it. This is not what David is talking about. David is talking about losing his position in the kingdom and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came on men for a function, to do a thing, right? In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit indwells men. So, this is a radical difference. So we need to understand this. He's not talking about losing his salvation and losing the Holy Spirit. In that sense. So if you have questions about that, you can come. We'll talk about it. So David is examining his heart. You know, it's how, it's how Paul finished 2 Corinthians um, there in the last chapter, chapter 13, verse 5. Examine yourself to see if you are in the faith, right? And that's part of what tonight is about. I'm challenging you. As you think about God and you think about the sin in your life, right? Examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Are you in the faith? Or are you playing religion with God? Life's too short and eternity's too long. Stop with your games. Come to God. Come to Jesus Christ. Completely, utterly, and totally. David is doing what Peter directs true believers to do. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about your calling and God's choosing of you. One way we do that is through this process of repentance. Confession and repentance. Verse 12, David says, I want the joy of your salvation, God. I want the joy of your salvation. That's what I want. He wants what only God can give. This thing with Bathsheba was a symptom. It's what we've been talking about for a month. This thing with Bathsheba is a symptom of the deeper disease which David has started to, 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 to not delight in God as he ought. And I know some of you in this room are guilty. You're not delighting in God as you ought. And some days I'm guilty too. Beloved God has said, here I am. You can have all of me that you want. It's an amazing offer. Look what David says he'll do with his forgiveness. He'll not just feel good about himself. Look what he says. I'm going to teach sinners. <laughs> I'm going to teach transgressors. I'm going to tell them you're a forgiving God. I'm going to tell them you're a saving God. I'm going to tell the people in my life about you. I'm going to tell them how you forgave me and how you loved me. Even when I'm wicked and no one else can tell I love you, you know I love you. It's a beautiful thing. David says, I will take this forgiveness and I will make your name great in the world. Or at least in my orbit, right? Isn't that what you're doing with your forgiveness? 
Aren't you making Jesus famous in your orbit? Isn't that what Christians do? Yes, of course, it's what Christians do. 14 and 15, Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation, then my tongue will joyfully sing of Your righteousness. He's, he's gone, man. He's gone, right? He started downcast and now He's jacked up. You know, He's jazzed about God. He's... The Lord has washed Him. I will joyfully sing of Your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare Your praise. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. David says, I will sing of His righteousness and I will declare the praise of God. This is the broken joy that comes through this cycle of, of sin, confession, repentance, restoration, evangelism. Discipleship. Verses 16 and 17. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God. You will not despise. The sermon is called Broken Joy. David says what every true believer knows. God is not interested in outward displays of repentance. God is delighted in a changed heart. God is delighted in a renewed gladness in Him. It's what the Lord delights in. Yahweh does not desire sacrifice of a broken or pardon me, physical sacrifice. He desires a broken and contrite spirit and heart. Eugene Peterson paraphrases this beautiful in the Message Bible. He says, I've learned God worship when I was shattered. When I was shattered in my sin. And God gave me mercy and grace. I think that's beautiful. Has God not thoroughly taught us this truth in our lives? The majesty, beauty, and sufficiency of Jesus Christ as we come to Him in confession and we receive His forgiveness? Beloved, the Bible is telling us that it's through our brokenness, humility, sorrow, and repentance from the sin in our lives that we worship God may be the best. I'm going to close with uh, this parable here, Luke 18, 19-14. You remember, Jesus tells the story about, about the Pharisee who's praying before God and he's, he's uh, yeah, saying he's, he's glad he's not a sinner like all these other people. and He's, he's bragging. He's, you know, he, he's praying to himself. The text actually says, God, I thank You that I'm not like these other people, these swindlers and these unjust people, these adulterers, and even like this tax collector. I'm glad I'm not like that. I fast twice a week and I pay my tithes. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift his eyes to heaven, was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. This is the worship God loves. 
It's not proud self-righteousness. It's a broken and contrite spirit anticipating the joy of forgiveness. So, you and I need Psalm 51. I need Psalm 51. I praise God that Psalm 51 is in the Bible. I praise God that Romans 7 is in the Bible. Every Christian struggles with sin. All of us do. But God, this holy, holy, holy God says, come, come and confess to me. You don't need to go to the priest. You don't have to go to the church. You don't have to do a sacrament. Come to me. Talk to me. And we'll sort it out. As far as the east is from the west, I will take this from you. God says. You know, I've talked to men who've confessed to me about terrible things. And they say, I can't forgive myself. I said, well, who do you think you are? How arrogant are you that you can't forgive yourself? God has forgiven you in Jesus Christ. You claim to be a Christian, yes? The man says, yes, I trust the Lord then you are forgiven in Christ. Forget about it. It's over. Put the guilt down. Be a disciple tomorrow. Stop navel-gazing and feeling sorry for yourself. Just put it down and move on, right? Move on. I'm thankful for Psalm 51. Now, I've probably gone a little long tonight, and I'm sorry, but I'm going to close with, with 1 John chapter 1, 8 and 12. You guys know this text. Let me just read it, and I'm finished. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His Word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, oh, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and He Himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not only, for, not only ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Amen? Beloved, if you're a Christian tonight, you are in on the most beautiful and amazing, spectacular, jaw-dropping experience. And my challenge to you as it always is, don't you dare walk out this door and live this small. Don't you dare be a secret agent Christian in the world. You are here to tell the whole world about this. You needed it. And they need it. I need it. I love you. I love you. I want you to delight in God. David is showing us how. If you have questions, let me know. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this 
beautiful picture of confession, this broken joy. (laughs) What an awesome God You are. I suspect there are some in this room who whose conscience is telling them that they are unclean before God in their sin. But Lord, we have this beautiful invitation to be clean again. Help each one of us to be honest with ourselves. Help each one of us to examine our hearts, to see if we are in the faith. To see if we love Jesus above all things. To see if we are serious about our sin. To see if we will move through sin into obedience, into delight, into joy, into worship. Help us, Father, we pray. And thank You for this awesome Gospel. We give all praise, glory, and honor to the breathtaking name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's close with a benediction. Let's stand. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you peace. Go in peace. God bless.